welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult. We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches. Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well-being while you are listening. If the content becomes too much for you to handle, please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse. With the hope that those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it. Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. Hi, Dee. Hey, Marcy. Hey, everybody. So this week on the podcast, we are going to continue the story that I ended off with about me getting special attention because I was the only child in town for a while. So before I do that, a few things, not many, hopefully not five minutes worth. Down below are links for our Facebook, Instagram, merch, and somebody had asked about a Patreon. I am not at the level of being able to handle another platform at this moment. But if you do want to support us monetarily, there is a link on our Anchor FM site. And if it's not down there in the description, I will try to remember to put it there. You can donate to us through that. There is a support link on our podcast, audio podcast platform. So that's one way you can support us monetarily until we have the wherewithal and brain space and time to (laughs) manage one more platform so with that i'm trying to think of kind of how we ended that conversation last week i had said that i was the the only child in town for a while and you asked oh because because when we were talking about parents and their reactions to us and moving me moving back and being a single mom under the roof of a parent. So you were talking about. Yeah. My adventures back and forth in my parents' house. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in my leaving the, well, I guess in my headquarters video, I had stated that I was there in 2002 for three months and then I got married. So Obviously, before headquarters, I had moved back home. And then after headquarters, I moved back home. And then I got married. And six months into the marriage, I kicked my ex-husband out of where we were living, which was an apartment behind my grandmother's house. Well, actually, my family kicked him out. And then he manipulated his way back into my life. And I could have cut ties at that moment. And been like nope not doing this but the pressure of not getting a divorce you know still holding those beliefs we met in a independent fundamental bible believing church so divorce was not really an option especially that quickly after getting married they would have said just work it out right Mm -hmm. like you know it's not reasonable to give up at this point right right so so anyway my grandmother found beers not like that's a big deal like i don't know why he couldn't have just brought him in the house like we were we were over 21 it wasn't like it was illegal like stashed behind her shed and you know it was like okay that's interesting but then there is the whole drug use so that became an issue and that's when i kicked him out or my family and i kicked him out and because i was like you can't do that to my grandmother like you can't have that in on her property that's just not acceptable so and then we got an apartment and it was kind of like when things got really bad i would go to my parents house for a couple of days and then trying to think (sighs) did they treat you any differently when you went back for those couple days versus when later after you were divorced was there a difference between you being married and there was a lot of talk about reconciliation and trying to work it out and figuring out like, you know, what's acceptable to live with. And so for those that might not know my family, alcoholism runs in my family. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Two of my uncles were alcoholics. And so there was a lot of abuse of substances that 
was kind of normal for our family, but I, I didn't want my kids to grow up like that because like I saw like, I don't know how my mom grew up. I mean, like I know some of it, but I was always uncomfortable around my uncles that were drinking and my grandfather and it just really bothered me and I didn't want my kids to grow up with that in their house. So like when I would go back, there would be a lot of talk about what's the right thing to do. What's the biblical thing to do, you know, and it's like, there's really nothing in the Bible about, well, if your husband is a drug addict, what do you do? You know, pray, read your Bible. God's going to change him. So I don't know when I read this book. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it may have been right before I got married or right after I got married, I read the created to be his help me from the pearls. Mm -hmm. And there's one story in that book that sticks out to me and it made me want to throw up. And so that's the kind of like teaching that, and and we're going to do a book review of that one day. So we're going to leave that story for you. Don't want to come back to (laughs) But it just really, it just really kept honing on like the, the pastor, you know, I talked with the pastor, he kept, you know, like if you pray enough, if you read your Bible enough, God's going to change him. And my parents were the same kind of way. And I had, you know, an uncle who was saved. He was also, you know, a recovering alcoholic and, you know, God changed him. So if God can change him, he can change anybody. And all that kind of stuff. And so it was, it was really hard because I wanted my marriage to work and then I got pregnant also. That throws another whole kink in things. Yeah. So, you know, and it's like my parents got married really young and they were, they, they're still married, you know? And it's like, well, if they could do it, I can do it. Right. And there was just, constant upheaval in my in my marriage and having learned a lot about narcissism and gaslighting there was a lot of that going on and I felt like I was living in an alternate reality yeah because everything I I mean uh, to an extent because I was living in his reality like whatever he wanted to be the truth is what I had to to accept as the truth and it's like wait this doesn't this doesn't track like this isn't no like am I like he would make me feel like crazy for suspecting things that were actually happening yes and try and convince me that these things weren't happening Mm -hmm. you know I knew how much he wanted kids and you know I was not a fan of birth control just because of the way that it affected me and I had no idea about my cycle I mean I didn't grow up in the cult but we were Catholics. And so we didn't really talk about reproduction and how that works. So no, if you don't want to hear any of this stuff, <laughs> you can leave. <laughs> we're, we're talking about married people stuff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so it wasn't like I was really able to do like natural family planning or anything. And I did struggle getting pregnant for a while and I was kind of glad, but then it really didn't matter. It's like, you know, I love my kids. I'm glad I have my kids. I wouldn't trade them for the world. But I was like, you know, if I would have just stayed away and waited for him to show that he changed, which he would have never done, I would be in a different boat right now. So I didn't wait for him to change. I allowed him to pressure me to come back, you know, and it was right around my birthday and his birthday and my birthday are 10 days apart. And so it was like, I don't want to be alone for my birthday. I'm living in a hotel and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) You know, and it's like, well, I don't want my husband to suffer. So, you know, I signed up for this. Yeah. I really didn't sign up for what I got, but I signed up for it. Right. Yeah. But they're good at making you think this is what's going to, you know, presenting one thing. And then as soon as you're married to them or as soon as they think they have control over you, then the, the, the narrative changes. One of there my really aunt- isn't what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. One of my aunts was, had called us like this is, I think I had a cell phone, but it was when we were still using landlines primarily. And we had a message on our answering machine and it was basically like, 
hi, you've reached blah, 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 blah. And then it was salvation message. Oh, like, yes. Like, let me get it in any way I can to anybody and everybody. And it was him. It was his voice. And my aunts like were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, you know? And it was like a super huge red flag for them. Mm-hmm. And there was something else on the message and I can't remember what it was, but they, they felt like it was super controlling, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. And so, but they couldn't tell me anything cause I wouldn't receive it Yeah. because y'all are Catholics, you know, and y'all don't understand like the Bible believing fundamentals that we are and yeah. we're just a different thing and you don't understand it. So you're going to resist us. Right. And you're right. going to like, right. yeah. So I was in that mindset. So like I, I would go back and forth, like have a bad time. And like, I kind of clung to my parents for, for safety Mm -hmm. and it wasn't always there. So they kept pushing me back out and pushing me back out. And instead of trying to figure out a way to help me like Mm -hmm. in it, you know, when I was pregnant, I was super tired and I didn't really, you know, I got kind of depressed too Mm -hmm. and I didn't keep my house very well and that was you know a contention in our marriage I've I've never been good at folding clothes (laughs) and I've never been I I have ADHD and I would go and we had a laundry room and I would go and I would put the laundry on to wash and three hours later I would be like what was I doing didn't I have something I needed to do (gasps) Oh, I was washing clothes and it's 105 degrees outside. And so by the time that you go and check the laundry, you have to wash it again. Yes. Which costs more money. And we were super poor because I wasn't working. Yes. So it was just a constant battle for me to like keep laundry, like from mildewing and (laughs) getting it clean. Focus when you're, when you've got also, if he's wearing you down that much mentally, that's hard to get. And in your brain's already having trouble because of the ADHD, it mm-hmm. would be really hard to focus on even the small things like that. Yeah. And I mean, we had a really tiny apartment and it was just, I, I, I'm a very people person and it was almost like he didn't want me to do anything social. Mm-hmm. He's kind of an introvert, but he was at work. And so if I would go do social things, he would get upset with me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if he would have just let me do my thing, I would have come home recharged and able to clean the whole entire house, yeah. you know, and he wanted me to cook, but I wasn't a great cook. I didn't learn how to cook from my parents, mom, I should say, cause she was our primary, you know, person mm-hmm. to cook. And that's a whole nother thing. She taught me a few things, but I never really wanted to cook with her because if you don't do things the right way, her way then it's this whole thing. And it's like, I never like, why am I going to go do something if I can never do it right? You know, and you can't be kind enough to show me the right way. Or if it yields the same result, what does it really matter what it looks like in between? You know? (laughs) So, you know, and I don't know if my mom is a narcissist. I, I really don't think she is, but she's a super high controlling person. Yeah. And so what I got, with my ex-husband was what I was familiar with as well. Yes. And what familiar, what feels familiar usually we think is okay. I, I ran into that same thing with my narcissistic ex-husband as well. Mm-hmm. Cause the anger felt normal. And so I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. The anger never felt normal to me. Like the, his level of, because my mom, my dad was a super chill person. And he never really, like, I can only remember one time in my life where he blew up and he like left the house and I went crying to my neighbor and I'm like, my parents could get a divorce. My dad yelled at my mom because I had never heard him (laughs) yell at her ever. And so, you know, it's obviously they didn't get a divorce, but like in my little tiny brain, I was like, oh my gosh, they are going to get a divorce because he's had enough. Yes. (laughs) So, so the anger was really surprising to me. Like the, the, the level of response to what was being done was so over the top. Yeah. And it's like, instead of having a conversation with me, like, you know, I would really prefer this. It was, you know, 
he would come when I'm cooking dinner, he would taste it and like fix it for me. Oh, and when we would sit down at dinner, I'd be like, well, how do you like, you know, the dinner? Oh, well, it could use this and that. And I would do this. And this is how you do it. I mean, it was like a whole, I'm like, oh, well, okay. Guess I didn't yeah. cook it right again. You know, it was a constant thing. And mm-hmm. it's probably one of the reasons, and I talk to Jeremy about this all the time. It's one of the reasons I don't like to cook yeah. is because I just, it makes me so anxious to have somebody critique my cooking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, I don't, it's weird. It's weird. So, I mean, I do. Those little trauma things bring up, it, they seem small, but they're not because they're connected to the trauma. Yeah. 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 So, and you know, my kids, you know, they're very opinionated. So they, when I was cooking for them and I used to cook every single meal for them mm-hmm. all the time because they had a lot of food sensitivities, you know, mm-hmm. so everything had to be done by scratch. Yeah. So they would voice their displeasure in a lot of the things. And I couldn't really cook them things that tasted good because they were allergic to a lot of, or <laughs> yeah. sensitive to a lot of things that make things taste good. Uh-huh. So, you know, it was really, really hard. So, so it was a battle. It was, it was always a battle. You know, it's like I was either stressing myself out about cooking things for the kids or cooking it the right way for him and having to cook two different meals at dinner because he wasn't going to eat what the kids could eat. Mm-hmm. you know and then i mean never mind what i wanted to eat yeah or liked or you know it was i'm very sensitive to gluten and dairy as a lot of my family is and so you know it was like a lot of it was you know stuff i would was gluten and dairy and yeah. i wound up gaining a lot of weight so we were in the apartment and we were i was pregnant and we were buying a house and so to save some money while I was in the transition of finishing being pregnant and the house needed a little bit of work before we could get into it. We moved in with my parents and Ah. I had, I had my baby and then I wound up having an emergency C-section and they have a two story and the bedrooms are on the second floor. So I really couldn't come up and down and up and down and up and down the stairs every day. And so I was kind of like laid up in the bed for a couple of weeks and he wasn't a whole lot of help to my parents for me. So they wound up taking care of me, Mm -hmm. helping me with the baby and taking care of this grown man. Yeah. So, and I felt like they, I think they felt pretty put out about that, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, especially my mom, because a lot of it fell on her. Yeah. So we, we moved to a house and it was quite far away from our family because that's where we could afford to live. And that's where he would agree to live. So isolation. Mm-hmm. So it was a good 20 to 30 minute drive. I had, well, the other thing is I had a fully paid for vehicle when we got married. Mm-hmm. He didn't want me to keep it because he wanted to be able to work on the vehicles himself. And he basically used that as an excuse to control what car I drove, Ugh. which wound up needing an engine, which <laughs> we wound up driving to Ohio to buy a busted engine. That didn't work and then having to buy a second engine to put in the car that he had to rebuild in my grandmother's garage and she like she's a very tidy and neat person so having all of that like spread out with all of the oil and stuff she was like freaking out about it like it yeah. was giving her anxiety <laughs> and so finally the engine got in the vehicle and it was a gas guzzler so it was like when i didn't have money for gas i couldn't go anywhere yeah so and Samuel hated it. The 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 Jimmy, it had no AC. He would cry. He you were a baby. He would cry the whole time we were driving back and forth because it was so hot. Oh, Even to this day, if the car is hot, he's like, Oh my god, it's hot. <laughs> Why did you do that at this time of night? I don't know. Because normally I have to go to sleep with Kathy. You need to go run around the block ten times. Yes, Sam. Are you crazy? Yeah. Obviously not as crazy as you drinking four cups of coffee this late at night. Okay. Please don't ever do that again. Okay. Because guess who's going to have to struggle to get you awake tomorrow? Him. Maybe you. Maybe. When have you ever gotten yourself up by yourself? When I haven't slept. When I haven't slept. Well, then you haven't. Actually, no, you haven't gotten up. Bye. 
he's at the age where he's not going to keep me up all night. Like, yes. <laughs> I was like, at least you can just ignore him if he's going to stay up. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> you can't be loud. That's my only rule. If you're going to stay up all night, don't be loud. Right. So my question would be, when all this was happening with your husband, did you start to, did you start to question some of the, since this is about getting out, mm -hmm. did you start to question any of the ideas yet? Or when did that kind of kick in for you as far as? I struggled with it. I struggled with being a submissive wife, yeah. you know, like how am I supposed to submit to this person who treats me so poorly? Yeah. You know, and it's, I kept thinking like, Am I not, you know, like guilt about not praying enough? Like if God really was the God that they tell me he is, he yes. would, you know, he would change my husband. And, you know, it's, it was a long road from that and going back and forth to my parents' house. You know, I, I filed for divorce when my middle child was six months old and got to the point where I just, I couldn't stay in the house anymore. And because my lawyer kept telling me, stay in the house, it'll be yours. Stay yeah. in the house, it'll be yours. And yeah. I'm like, I can't live with this person anymore. I can't do it. And I called my mom up one day and I'm like, I have to leave. I cannot do this anymore. And so I moved into their house and wound up going back to him to try and reconcile. And then it just got to the point where we had an agreement that if he ever backslid back into doing drugs again, I could call him up and tell him, don't come home. Yeah. I did. Uh -huh. And he came back home. Yeah. And this was after Noah was born, my youngest. He was, he was about a month or two old. And I walked into the bathroom and I found some paraphernalia. We only had one bathroom. So the boys would, if they woke up at night, they would have to go in there. He was asleep in the bathtub with his paraphernalia on the counter. And I was like, I'm done. And I posted that on Facebook. I'm done. And anybody who knew what I was going through knew what I meant. Yes. And he didn't have Facebook, so he had no clue. And so <laughs> I, from the time that came a realization to the time that I moved out, I was working behind the scenes to get things set up. And one day he went to work. I packed up the whole entire house except for his stuff. I contemplated taking all of his tools and selling it because I knew he wasn't going to pay me child support. But I didn't have room in the truck, so he got saved from that. <laughs> so, you know, then I'm, you know, I moved out and, you know, I was living at a friend's house and then my grandmother's house became available. She allowed me to move there. Then... My grandmother was moving back and my mom and dad were going to move into her house with her to take care of her. And so I wound up going into the back apartment where I had started with my ex-husband many, many years ago with all three boys. I got to sleep on the top bunk. You got to sleep on the top bunk then? Yeah, I think. Okay. Now, I think you were on the pull-out drawer because I had a bunk bed and then I had a trundle underneath of it. Oh. It was a 600-foot square double garage. Oh. Oh. That was the apartment. You know, oh, wow. so me and three boys in one room, you know? I yeah. Remember you remember sleeping on the trundle? Yeah, and then, I, and then when I got older, since we were living there, like, basically kind of my whole life, I, I remember sleeping on the top bunk. And we Possibly. Kept up. Yeah, yeah. Somebody would get aggravated with toys falling on them, and, and so they would switch beds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds like typical children. <laughs> I think at some point I put the trundle next to my bed and you slept next to my bed for a while. Probably. Yeah. So anyway, so that's when a lot of the dynamics of the relationship between my parents and me getting out, that was around the time, like I had been in that house for a couple of years. This was probably around 2015, 2014. Mm -hmm. And that's when kind of like when recovering grace, we had found yeah. it. So, and my brother had been working on Homeschoolers Anonymous. He had been bucking my parents for years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was always like, why is he doing that? Like, this is the right way. And I don't understand it. And, you know, I didn't live in my parents' house under all of that. I was an adult and coming for them 
coming to them for advice in a very strained marriage and getting advice from them. But it's like, I never really like for a long period of time, I think I was at home for maybe a year when I came back from the air force before I was out. Yeah. And so, and I was an adult. Yeah. Hold on just a second. Mm-hmm. So where were we? I've lost it. So I was talking about how I kind of found recovering grace and yes. my brother was bucking the system yeah. and I didn't understand it at first. And then I started reading recovering grace and I was like, Oh, I understand it now. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I completely left the IBLP ATI beliefs, but I was still going to the fundamental church here and there but my life was getting a little bit harder to maintain with being a single mom of three working a full-time job navigating public schools with the autistic child so i had an autistic child navigating public school with that i was constantly going to school with meltdowns and teachers meetings and IEP meetings. And it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. For a while, I would go to church, put the kids in church and sit in my car and work for an hour because I could get one hour of uninterrupted work. And so at this time, let's see, the boys were probably in 2015, 10, nine, and four. Thank you. (laughs) 10, nine, and four. And so, you know, I had, and I was waiting for Noah to be able to go to public school so I could stop paying daycare because yeah. daycare was about as much monthly as a house note would be. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, well, and being a veteran, I qualified for a VA loan. So I knew I would be able to do zero down payment. So, yeah, I mean, and so as I stopped being available to go to church, you know, I was promised some things from the pastor, like, we'll come pick up your boys and we'll do this and we'll do that. And, you know, we'll help you out. And then there was no help. And then I would ask my parents to like bring the kids to church for me so I could do things around the house or work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my kids were a lot. And so it got to be too much for them and they, they didn't want to do it. And nobody else in the church stepped up. They didn't say, you know, look, we really can't be bringing you know, Danielle's kids here anymore, you know? And so it was kind of like, nobody came over and said, Hey, I noticed you haven't been going to church. Is there anything we can do to support you? And I could have said, this is what I deal with. Yeah. If there's anything in it, you know, I am struggling to get my hours in at work and I'm, I'm on FMLA and I'm taking time off and I'm, you know, constantly have this battle of, and I still do of, being able to work enough hours and having enough PTO to, to pay my bills. And it's like, if somebody would have come in and said, Hey, how can we help you? And I could say, okay, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. What can you do to help relieve anything? Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do for me, but what can you offer me in this to help me? Like if somebody would have offered to cook one meal a week for me, that would have been huge. Mm -hmm. You know, when they would go to their dads on the weekend, I would spend the weekend working and cooking and prepping for the next two weeks because it was every, you know, actually it was only twice a month. So twice a month I would have grocery store cook work, grocery store cook work, you know, and get everything ready and in the freezer for the next two weeks. That way I can just pull stuff out, throw it on plates and I wouldn't have to try and, Mm -hmm. you know, cause I never knew what day the phone would ring and it would be school. You have to come up and pick up your son or your son's been suspended for three days because he threw something at somebody. And I'm like, well, what did you do to piss him off? Like if you see it's starting to escalate, you need to learn how to de-escalate. Like yeah. shouldn't get to this point, but that's beside the point. So it was, it was a constant battle for time. And so that made me realize that the church really wasn't about helping the people that were in the church. They were more concerned about going and getting more people to pay tithes yeah, and to fill seats and to put crowns 
in their basket for when they're in heaven mm-hmm. and it's more, like more jewels in their crown more ju- yeah more jewels in their crowns i don't know i don't know the analogies anymore i get lost yeah. <laughs> I maybe, in baskets. That, maybe that's an analogy too i just always remember people saying you're earning jewels for your crown your, your heavenly I, crown's I gonna have you know but you got to do all these pious things there in those jewels right so wrong but Right. And it's like, you know, I mean, let the single mother, you know, and, and I have to say they were supportive of me when I was going through my divorce, they actually did come to court with me and support me. So that was very, I was surprised and shocked that they did that. Yeah. That that's very surprising. And so I was very grateful to them for that. I really appreciated their, their support that gave me a little bit of okay well maybe not everybody in these kinds of churches are as crazy as the rest of them maybe there's a church out there that actually has sense you know and can see that there are reasons for divorce and you don't keep children in an unsafe environment you know mm-hmm. so so i that kind of gave me hope at first and then it's like when i was at my lowest mm-hmm. i was just left there yeah. to flounder And try and figure it out myself. And so I was like, you know what? I don't have time for that because Mm -hmm. that doesn't benefit me at all. What benefits me is being able to pay my bills. So I have to work. Church goes by the wayside. And I, some of it, I just started like, you know, my kids need food more than the church needs it. So I don't tithe. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough in my budget to tithe, Mm -hmm. you know? And they always say, oh, well, if you tithe, you get more. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> no, it's not the way it works. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen God do some mighty things when I had need, but it wasn't, but I didn't tithe. It wasn't right. because I was doing my duty according to the church. I, I wouldn't even go into church there for a while <laughs> for, right. for our needs. So it just. So that, that leads us into the, you know, quasi relationship that I had. So that kind of broke me out of it completely. Okay. Because he and I actually had a lot of conversations about my past and where I was because I, you know, I told him, I said, I struggle with this. Like I yeah. struggle with making these decisions yes. and he's like, you need to like, he encouraged me to figure out who I was Yeah. outside of that. What do you really believe? You know? And I, I'm so grateful for him because of that, because I really, I mean, like I was like, finding myself as a single person. But when I broke out of the church and started seeing this guy and started like, okay, well, they told me this was wrong my whole entire life. Yeah. But I don't know that I believe that it's wrong. So let me go experience this and see if I think it's wrong, you know? Uh And I did a lot of exploring. Mm Mm-hmm. Of Which myself, is the only way to figure out who you are, and I think that I think you're absolutely right. In within this cult, figuring out who you are is was a huge part. I think that I did not have enough time to figure that out for myself before I got mixed up in my narcissistic marriage. Yeah, too, and I think that if I had figured that out, then I would have. I don't know that I would have been able to see through him because narcissists are really good about pulling, you know, working that for to their advantage, but. It might have helped a little bit. Might have thrown up more red flags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just never know what you would have seen if yeah, you had you a different mindset. Because no. I mean, coming out of you know a long period of being by myself, and I and I was discovering myself, and and mm-hmm. some of, but it was I was so busy, I didn't have a whole yeah. lot of time. No. No. You know, I started doing you know this workout thing and I started I became an instructor for a while and that gave me a huge boost of confidence and it was still a struggle to like find the time to do it and get people to you know that I could afford to watch my kids because my kids are a handful and so not everybody can watch my kids like the one lady who let my kids walk around the neighborhood when they were like eight and nine or ten and eleven I don't know no they were probably eight and nine and take mail out of people's mailboxes. Oh. Oh, no. And my uncle came by to check on us and noticed my kids free-ranging in the front yard. And I'm like, oh, I thought that you said that they could go in the... F- I said they could play in the backyard that was gated. Yes. <laughs> Did you not think to look for that? 
you're fired. Yeah, logic, <laughs> logic. It's like I can't even like a grown person. Like she was a grown adult. Like watch my kids, and I, I told her you have to keep your eye on them. If you can't see them and you can't hear them, they are up to no good. <laughs> yes, yes. Silence means danger. <laughs> you were probably three at that time you were probably still at daycare because daycare would go longer than school so i would have somebody watch the two older ones until so i could work longer mm-hmm. you know so it was yeah pay for somebody to watch somebody to work longer and you're barely making enough money to do that but you have yeah. to get the hours yeah. to get you the benefits the and, yeah pretty much but yeah. also to get the hours to get the benefits and get the work yeah. done you know it was like yeah. constant so that was that. And then after that quasi relationship ended, I did a lot more, I guess. I had more time to like really think about things and like solidify my beliefs, yeah. but they're not many. Like I'm still trying to figure out where I stand on a lot of things. Cause I haven't had enough time to do like research and study. Like, I kind of just think in my mind, well, do I believe that anymore? Nope. I don't know what I believe, but I don't believe that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Nope. I've had those moments. Nope. (laughs) You know, and it's. I may not know what spectrum I fall on right now, but I know it's not that. So that's, that's probably a really good thing to share with our viewers that, that sometimes the first step to this is just to know what you don't think. Yep. Like just. And then you can figure out, and maybe it'll take some years to get there, but then you can figure out what you really do believe later. Like the first step was, no, I don't believe divorce is never an option. Right. And, you know, I had to go, you know what? My God loves me too much to keep me in this. Yes. My God loves my boys too much Mm -hmm. to have them treated this way. Mm -hmm. I am not showing my boys how a woman should be treated. Mm-hmm. I am putting up with abuse and showing my kids that abuse is okay if I stay here. So, you know, it's like, and it was just like that realization, like, no way can I do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I I have nothing left to give anymore. And it's like, mm-hmm. I need to show up for my kids. And if I'm continuing this battle with this grown person, I'm not there for my kids the way I need to be. Yeah. It was my kids that did that for me too. And it it was one of those things where it just came down to the point where I was like, I I can't keep them safe here. I can't keep them safe here. Yeah. That was what did it. Yeah. Mine was more of a mental, emotional, spiritual, financial Mm -hmm. control that I was not okay with. And, you know, one day we were taught, he had gotten into an accident right before I left and he wasn't working. And I was like, I was pregnant with Noah. And I was like, should I go get a job? And he's yeah. like, you can't make enough to support this family. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, okay. <laughs> Like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I was like, do I leave my kids alone with this man? Right. All yeah. day. <laughs> That's the next question. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, he said no. So I can't leave my kids alone with him. Darn. <laughs> You know, it was like, it, that was my battle. Do I go out and get a job and leave them alone with him? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, then he didn't want me to. And so to be a submissive wife, I didn't go and do it. And, yeah. you know, I'm glad I didn't because I don't think it would have been a good situation for my kids to be alone with him. Uh, he was post-injury. He had a motorcycle accident. It wasn't bad. It was very yeah. minor, but he had some broken bones and stuff and he was recovering. Yeah. And so yeah. he was under a lot of pain medication. He wasn't taking it as prescribed. And so yeah. he was asleep a lot. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, I would have to get like an overnight job where they would be asleep for the most part, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I digress. So that was kind of my couple wake up moments that, you know, what I had been taught can't be right. You know, and so through, I don't even remember, I started talking to my aunts, my mom's sisters a lot, and kind of, they talked to me about some of the stuff that they were reading on the Homeschoolers Anonymous and the Recovering Grace, you know, stuff, because I didn't have time to read. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just, we would have conversations about it, and they would tell me some of the stuff that my brother had wrote, and I was like, 
oh my God, I did not know my brother went through that, you know? And it was like, I'm so sorry. I wasn't there to protect him from that, you know? And it's like it, he, I think when he was 17, he had made it his life mission to try and protect Michelle from going through my younger sister from going through everything that he had gone through. And so he bucked my parents at every turn and it was a very contentious time. And my dad and I would have conversations and it would be like, you know, why, you know, why is Nick leaving all of this, you know, teachings and stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't understand, you know, because at that point I had kids yeah, and I was trying to raise them right. You know, and it was like, obviously like, and it was weird because it's like, I was a rebellious kid. Then my brother was a rebellious kid. And it's like, there's a pattern here and yes. both ways didn't work for my parents. Like the so, way they, good. the way they raised me didn't work. I became rebellious. The way they raised him didn't work. He became rebellious. So <laughs> like maybe it's just natural to have a little bit of rebellion. <laughs> And figure things out on your own. You can't control your kids after a certain point. To become your own person and figure out who you are. So my question was going to be, so when your brother was doing this and you were talking to your parents about it, did they ever ask you to try to talk some sense into him? Because I got that conversation several times. (laughs) I think they knew I had my hands full. And so I don't, they really didn't. And my, my brother and I weren't really close for a long time. Like we, Mm -hmm. we still don't, I I accidentally called him today uh, (laughs) and we actually had a conversation, you know, and it was like, I'm sorry, I called you. I just picked up my phone and it died. I guess I needed to talk to you. Yes. (laughs) Serendipity. Yes. So, you know, it's like every, you know, every once in a while I'll text him and, you know, we'll have a conversation and it's more of like, okay, what are our parents up to now? You know, yes. what's going on with our younger sister? What's, you know, how can we help her? You know, a lot of it is trying to advocate for her as much as we possibly can. Although my parents are out of ATI, IBLB cult and Now, thankfully, my dad has left the IFB as well. Mm -hmm. Things are getting better. My mom basically has changed cults. Oh. So she's in all the conspiracy theories about the election. and Yes. It's almost like they have to have something. You know, it's like they have to have something that only a certain people know about. Yes. And not everybody else. It's their little secret. Yes. And it makes them special. It makes you feel like you have purpose and you know i i talked to my mom and i'm like mom this is a red flag mom this is a red flag this i cannot talk to you about this because i see so many cult red flags in this mm-hmm. and she's like well i'm watching it myself i'm like yeah you watched the basic seminar yourself too <laughs> i'm sorry that's not funny but <laughs> it you're taking what somebody else has watched and and they're putting their spin on it Uh You're watching it Uh and then you're reading what they interpreted this to mean Uh instead Uh of learning the context around what this, I don't know. It's just, it's like Like actual critical thinking skills. I think that critical, that's something I learned when I first got out too, is that that critical thinking skills are, so you don't just take it hook, line and sinker. You actually got to think through it and say, and then research it a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, after all these years of trying, of working on learning those things, that's one of my main things as a parent is, is trying to, to not just tell the girls, no, that's wrong or yes, that's right, but teach them how to figure it out on their own. Like, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to give you the answer. You need to like, let's logically think this through and yeah, like not have to be as susceptible as we were. <laughs> like when my son wrecked his car and it was kind of due to him not taking some of his ADHD meds yeah, because he doesn't have impulse control when he's not on his meds. And it's like, okay, what did you do wrong here? Yeah. Well, I wrecked the car. And I'm like, well, what led to that? Yes. <laughs> like, Back it up a little. Right. <laughs> what did you do differently for a week before this happened? Yeah. I didn't take one of my meds. I'm like, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yes. Go do you start think, for you. Do you think this would have happened? If you had been on your meds, probably not. 
you know, not that it it's for sure and for certain wouldn't have happened, but the likelihood of him getting an impulse yeah. and acting on it mm-hmm. would have been less. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of why our family has a lot of work to do is because mm-hmm. they're out of it, but there's some other stuff for, for dealing with. And wow. so my younger sister has some chronic problems and I was talking to my brother about it today. A lot of these conditions are statistically a lot of childhood trauma victims Um, have these diagnoses. It's very, there's a correlation, you know, to these diagnoses and childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And she was the one that was born of it and in it. I mean, she wouldn't have been born if it had not been for the cult. Yeah. And just trying, I kind of, it's, it's really, I try to not get in it too much because I'm already at the point where I'm advocating for two other humans and myself. Yes. And so being an advocate for a grown adult, but also knowing how easy it is to, and how difficult it is to be a grown person. I was a grown person with three Mm -hmm. children and my mom still controlled some of the ways I did things. Yes. And I wasn't living in her house, but I was living on her property. Yes. And so it was like, well, you live on our property, so you can't do this. You live here, so you can't do this. And you're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. be a bad example for your sister. I'm like, what does it matter if I do it here or somewhere else she still knows what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) i quite often with siblings especially at the beginning where i was the oldest and i was the newly minted adult and there were still ones at home or as we got a little further down the road and they hit teenage years and going through a rough patch and they were bucking rules too mom would come to me and say can you please explain to them my thought process and make them behave and i would have to put up really strong boundaries and say no because for one that's not my place and two i don't believe that anymore so no i will not help you establish that rule with them because i don't think it's right (laughs) and not in so many words but you know it 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 happened a lot and then as the younger sisters got older they she it happened to them too they she would come to them and say will you please talk to your brother about this and they'd be like yeah, we'll talk to him, but not the way you want us to talk to him. <laughs> like, we would have opposite conversations. Right. So, like, this is okay that you're going through this. This is normal yes. childhood development. We're going to tell you this is how you do this safely. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're not yeah. going to, this is normal life stuff that you're dealing with, but we're going to tell you how to do it safely so you don't mess anything up since parents won't talk to you about it. So, you know, I guess in a way I got a lot of attention, but my sister, my sister didn't want that attention. My older sister, she had moved out, got married. She had six kids, you know, it's, she, Mm -hmm. you know, had a husband and they have a good relationship and Mm -hmm. he's supportive and she homeschooled and she's done a lot of the things that she's wanted to do. And she was supported in it for the most part. I mean, like, I, I don't know the ins and outs of everything about their marriage, but they, I feel like they have a really healthy marriage, you know, so she didn't need my parents, you know, I struggled a lot in life with my undiagnosed ADHD for so long and not understanding ADHD and, and how to put things in place. Like when I was a mom of toddlers, I was learning how to manage a household and not forget the laundry, like go turn on a timer. You know, so you don't forget, you know, put, set your alarm on your phone and put reminders and, you know, like all of my calendars have like the day before reminder, you know, an hour before reminder, 30 minutes before reminder. And it's like, depends on how long it'll take me to get there. Then sometimes it's like two hours before, (laughs) one hour before, 45 minutes before, you know, it's like, you need to leave now. So, you know, it's like, I was learning tools, how to function in the midst of having small children you know and drama and drama and chaos and you know like I said like I had moved like 20 some odd times in 20 years or 20 yeah. some odd, 20 times in 20 some odd years like I pretty much moved houses average of once a year for like 20 22 years yeah this is the longest I've lived anywhere in this house at almost going on almost four years 
since I lived on the property at my parents, my grandparents' house. I think that was the only other place I've lived several years in the same place, but I had to move houses once. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I counted as a move because I had to like, I had to go from a three bedroom, two bath house to a one bedroom, one bath house. So I had to pare down like crazy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, and that, know, that's just traumatic in and of itself. Moving. I've, I've done moves like that too. Not with only a few with young children, but, but it, it takes a full year to get settled in a place really fully get settled. And then by that time you're moving again. So it's your constant state of disarray and chaos. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is every time I started hanging pictures on the wall, it was around a year. Yeah. And that's when it would be like, why the heck did I put these on the wall? I'm just moving. (laughs) And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to move now because I'm hanging (laughs) pictures. It was your your glue. (laughs) I'm finally at the point where I can hang pictures and I feel like I'm settled in the house. Guess it's time to move. So you know, I have a few of those things too, and a lot, and a lot of times it was pictures. Yeah, but yeah. I think a lot of that also is because, as a child struggling with ADHD, I ruined a lot of relationships. So it was always let's turn over a new leaf, yes. let's start over. Yes, and a lot, and some of it. Once I moved schools, yeah. because the reputation I had in that school was so terrible, and they were, they basically you know, wouldn't help me like at all at my school. It was basically like, you're just rebellious, lazy, and dumb. not dumb, but like if I, if I would study, I would pass the test. It was so boring to study. So I couldn't make myself do it. I had to like listen to classical music and write notes and do flashcards and just to get myself to want to study because I had to make it fun somehow. So doing flashcards did it for me somehow i don't know organization like the brain likes organization it can't do it but it loves it (laughs) yes it can't do it can't do it on its own but it loves it yes Yes. so you know it's like so i struggled in school and you know i think i eked by like with c's and stuff but on the subjects that i liked i did better because I retained the information. And so I would get in trouble at school for twirling my hair and flicking a pencil and stuff because I was a fidgeter. Yeah. You know, that was way before fidgets were a thing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it was, I struggled a lot through my life just being able to figure out how to function. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like when I finally realized that part of that was the weight of trying to be something I wasn't, you know, I was never a submissive person. I didn't submit to my parents. I certainly wasn't going to submit to a person I didn't respect, you know, and, you know, in my marriage now, I'm not a super submissive person. It's, we come to like, we have a partnership where we make agreements together, but it's never one person has a say over the other person if I'm not comfortable with something, he's like, okay. If he's not comfortable with something, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to force you to do something you're not comfortable with. Like, I know how that feels like, (laughs) and both of us know that, you know, it's like, we both have had relationships where we were forced to do things we weren't comfortable with. And so it's like, now it's like, okay, we can come up with a different solution. We might have to think on it a a little while, but we'll figure it out. You know, that's our other podcast. So, yeah, so how I left was very long and drawn out and it was like one piece of the puzzle just led to another and, you know, it wasn't this all of a sudden realization. It was like these slow, like peels of an onion, like, yes, (laughs) this got dismantled and then this got dismantled. And I really think when it came out in Recovering Grace that Gothard was a pervert, it really rocked my world because I know some very, very dear people to me that have been through that. And I was like, oh my God, he prayed on the people that had this happen to them and made them susceptible to it again. And then he made them basically 
abuse their own family after they had been abused. Like, you know, I know nobody can make you do anything, but when you present it as the answer to life and your kids being safe and happy and healthy, mm-hmm. but it's abusive. Yeah. It's like you just made all of these people who were abused. And I feel like a lot of people who are drawn to cults are people who have had lots of trauma in their yes. life. Yes. And because it promises safety. Yes. And all you want is safety. safety. Yeah. And and turns them into abusers themselves, which when they get out, they have such a hard time dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, I, I don't know all the parents, but I know some parents that are struggling with that because of, they haven't dealt with their initial trauma enough. Yeah. And they're struggling with knowing that they traumatized their children and accepting that. Like I know as a parent, when my children were little and I was in the IFB, I did some damage. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to not be like, well, I was doing that to save my marriage because it doesn't matter. There was a boundary that I should not have crossed no matter what. I should have stood up to that grown man and said, no, I'm not doing this to my children. But I was, you know, trying to be a submissive wife. So it was like this constant yo-yo in my head of this is not right. I can't do this. I have to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do because of the Bible says I'm supposed to do this. And it was like, I was constantly hurting myself and hurting my children, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's hard to sit with that yeah, and then see how that's affected them at a older age, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, the only thing I can say is that there's a difference between my two oldest who grew up with their father and in that environment and with a mother who parented differently than with my youngest son, Noah. And there's a vast difference in their ability to cope and deal with daily life and to function in society. Like I never have trouble with my youngest at school. I was constantly at school with the older two. Samuel here and there, Jonathan a lot, but that also was because of his autism. But it's like, I couldn't go a week without getting a call from school from one or the other. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, I think I've gotten three phone calls from Noah's school. He's about to be 11. And yeah. I think twice it was an injury. Uh, <laughs> yes. That is night and day difference. You know, but you know, it's like, I'm here for my older kids. I'm not giving up on them. I know what they went through. I know how it affected me as an adult. I can't mm-hmm. imagine the trauma that has changed the way that their personalities are, you know, and it's like, I'm not my, you know, my parents didn't quite give up on me. Like at some point, I think they did to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. but it's like, my parents are always there for me, whether we agree or not, whether they're believing in things I don't believe in, we're, we're a family and we're always going to be there for each other. It's just sometimes we're not safe to have deep conversations with right each other you know as a family yeah yeah they have to have deep conversations as as siblings but not with the parents but my parents have been there for me every step of the way of single motherhood Mm -hmm. Um, and they have been our lifesaver as far as that goes so i I get i hear you there we do function outside of that Mm -hmm. Um, family is family yeah yeah so once i got out in my own house I was able to parent my own way. That was the first time I was able to parent and only my decisions had to be considered because only what I wanted my kids to have, you know, freedom with, it -hmm. didn't affect anyone else because I had to make parenting decisions based off of my ex-husband and what he wanted to allow. And then when my parents lived in the house in front of me, what my mom was able to cope with. Yes. You know, and yeah. so I had to control my children's behavior based on how my mom handled their behavior, Yeah, you know, and her ability to live in chaos. And it's like, no. just don't look out your window. I don't know. <laughs> don't look out your window. Close the blinds. If you don't see it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I don't know why it bothers you. I don't know. <laughs> So, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so free, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. that was the first time I really felt free 
because I had nobody trying to control me or what yes. I could do. And I'm not saying that what my mom did was necessarily bad. It was just. But you did have to think about it. Yeah. I had to consider her a mm -hmm. lot in my parenting. And it was mm -hmm. like, I finally didn't have to do that. So yeah, it's really tough living with parents when you're an adult and a, and a yes. parent yourself. <laughs> yes. You yes. know, and then having been through the whole thing of the, the cult and the IFB and feeling like I didn't know how to make decisions because mm -hmm. they teach you that all of your thoughts need to be checked with the Bible and you can't yeah. trust your own self mm -hmm. to make good decisions. Yeah. So it was like every decision I made almost gave me anxiety because I was like, am I yes. making the wrong decision? Yes. <laughs> I struggle with the same thing. Yes. It's still even, what is it been 12, 14, 16? I don't even know how many years now. I still struggle with making decisions like that because I'm tr trusting my gut. My gut is always right. But I still I should always listen to, to those little, it. all those little things in your head that are saying mm -hmm. no, 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 or yes, yes, yes. Listen to them. Yes. Listen and the other to thing them. is, if they're wrong, it's okay. Yeah. You're human. You get to make mistakes. <laughs> you get and to make learn from them. <laughs> we were just talking tonight before we got on here to start recording that I had made a very small mistake today at work. And I was saying, ah, it's giving me so much anxiety and I, I, I know it's not that big of a deal, but I just have this thing in my head that I have to be perfect and that, and it's yelling at me that I, you know, why didn't you know what to do or why didn't you do something different? And I was like, this is going back to this stuff. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> Bring me right back there. <laughs> yes, it did. So years down the road today, it happened yeah. to me. <laughs> so if y'all are experiencing that, number one, it is completely normal. Yes. Number two, you can trust yourself to make good decisions. Yes. And if you make a bad decision, in all likelihood, you can learn from it and do it differently later. Most of your decisions aren't going to be life or death. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in that culture, I, I felt like every decision was because everything was so black and white that it was, it was make it or break it. Like life or death. It wasn't in heaven or hell. I mean, like, yeah, even though we were no in between, <laughs> even though we were saved, it felt like, you know, if you do this, you could lead to a reprobate mind and be given over to the devil. Yes. So that's where my brain yeah. went today was, yeah. Oh my goodness. I made this very tiny mistake, but they're going to hate me. And then they're Then I'm going to lose my job. And then I won't have any money. And then that's the end of the world. Like all of our things come crashing down. It's the end mm -hmm. of the world for me which is, it's called catastrophic thinking, um, mm. isn't it? I think, it's, I think there so. might be another word for that, but where you think that the, you know, it's just the end of the world over a small thing and that's yeah. trauma. It, yeah. It's a, it's trauma a trauma response. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, open up the conversation. If you struggle with this and you want to know more, we will be doing in the future, a mental health, like mini series. We're going to do like mm -hmm. short clips of different mental health focuses. You know, we're going to go through the different types of abuse because when I was in my first marriage, I had no idea there were such things as financial abuse. Right. Or yes, I don't I kind of knew about emotional abuse, but it was like, I didn't know what it was. And so when I started looking at those things, and I think my sister sent me something one day and she's like, D, all of these things you can check off. I'm scared for you. And I'm like, holy crap. Yes. I'm yeah. scared for me too. <laughs> you know? Like my world was so skewed that I couldn't even see it. Yeah. Until I, somebody said, here's a checklist. Yes. And I checked off every single one. Now it was in counseling after I got out, but I was still considering going back. It's fairly mm -hmm. certain I wasn't, but he got real close to getting me back fifth time. Mm -hmm. And same thing where the counselor said, look at this list. And I checked every single one went off and that's when it kind of went. Yeah. There is no way that you can go back. Like this yeah. is all abuse. I didn't even know that there were that many types of abuse. I thought there was just physical abuse. Yeah. And Yeah. So we're going to go through them. We're going to give you the checklists and the mm -hmm. things to check off to see if 
they are in your relationships. And this isn't just about, you know, intimate relationships. This is also parent-child relationships. This is, you know, you as a parent to your child, your parents to you as a child, you to your parents as a child, you know, like there's so many things that I think some of us do that could be abusive that we just need to make sure that we're not perpetuating the cycle, right? Not only be aware of if it's happening to you, but be aware of it so we don't perpetuate the cycle. So, you know, but if you're doing, you know, some of these things, just don't beat yourself up about it. You're now, you know, like I always go, like, I'm now aware of it. I can change it now. I can't change the past. I can change the future. And being okay with making mistakes is a really big part of finding healing after the cult. And if you're not sure if you made a mistake that's not excusable or forgivable, message us. Let's talk it out. You know, get on the Facebook group. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of the mistakes that you've had. And we can be like, yeah, been there, done that. (laughs) So that at least you know that you're not alone. (laughs) Exactly. Because, you know, that's part of why we want to have the group is to find the community, to find the support, because everybody in your old world, and if they're still in it, is telling you everything you're doing is wrong. And sometimes you need somebody to say, no, this is okay. You're... You may have made a mistake, but what can you do to make it better? What can you do to do it differently? You know, and, and sometimes it just need you just need a voice of reason. Just need a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, we will say good night or good day, <laughs> good evening, whatever it might be for you when you're watching this. So we hope that you will join us next week and join the rebellion. Bye. Bye.